I was praying back there about what verse to read with regards to the communion we're about to take. Your mind immediately goes to those standard verses about communion, you know. This is the one I kept hearing. It's in John chapter 17. Verse 18, he starts out saying, and this is the night they took, they broke bread. This is that night where they took communion. And he's telling them this as his last words as a as a man on this earth. And he says, As thou hast sent me into the world, he's praying to the Father. Even so has I all have I also sent them into the world. Speaking of his disciples. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. When neither pray I for these alone, meaning the twelve that were with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's you and me, right? That's, it all came from those twelve. It came from him. Through that word, we're all here. So he's praying for you. I think it's a prayer Jesus answered, or God answered, amen. He's praying for you. What is he praying? That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. So why would we need that? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which you, Father, gave to me. This is, he's praying this for you. I give it to them. I pray you give it to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them and that as thou hast loved me. When we take communion, it's not a ritual. It's not an obligation. It's more than remembrance. Taking communion, and Jesus said, if you, take, if you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood, you'll have his life. But you have to understand it's, it's, a, it's a physical analogy for a spiritual principle. After church today, you're all going to go eat. It gives you physical life. Jesus is saying you need to eat me. Not literally, but spiritually. It says, Paul later would say, he says, those that are joined to the Lord are one spirit. And I'll tell you what I think communion is. It, it looks like this looks like this as my wife and I are one you're taking communion you're saying you and I are one you and I are one this was the prayer he prayed for his disciples was that it wasn't it wasn't talking about a unity between me and every one of you and making sure we're all the same 
He was saying, I'm praying for a unity between them and you, Father. That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me. He was praying that you and you and you and you would be one with him as Jesus was one with the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Boy, that's, that's what communion is, is I want to be able to say, if you've seen me. Well, see, if I can speak for Natalie. If you've seen me, you've seen Natalie. We're one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's communion. And the unity that's produced between you and the Father, that's the first unity we need to care about. Not the second. Unity isn't about compromise. Unity is about agreement with Him. It's actually uncompromising. I do not ever want to compromise this. I don't ever want to compromise, compromise my unity with the Father. So when we talk about the unity, when you take communion, what you're saying is, I see, the, uh, I see myself as one with you, Father. One with you, Jesus. That the same, that when I partake of the life of Christ, I am, you and I are one together. See? And then, when you have the pure of heart motivation, I want to be one with you, Father. And you got a bunch of people that say, I want to be one with you, Father. Well, unity down here takes care of itself. See? Amen. Well, we're about ready to take communion. And I want you to see that picture because as your Father is in heaven, is He not perfect? Is He not, I mean, look, look at the will of God in heaven or think of the will of God in, in the Garden of Eden. Eden, was it not perfect? Was it not pure? Was it not holy? Was it not, you know, would you see any kind of taint or, or sin or mar of sickness or... Or, or, or poverty, any of those things. When you're taking communion, you're saying, I'm one with you, Father. And it also means I'm one with your will. As it is in heaven, so let it be here in my life on earth. So you take that communion, you're saying, I agree with your will. I agree with your healing. I agree with your freedom from sin. I agree with your deliverance. I agree that your poverty replaces my poverty. You're saying all those things. You're taking his life and you're making it part of you. In the same way you eat a meal and it gives you strength. That is not to give you physical strength. It is to impart spiritual strength. Spiritual life. Amen. Have that picture when you take it today. Yes, and be mindful about offense. Be mindful about forgiveness. Because one with the Lord... It, the Lord is love, right? The Lord is long-suffering. You don't get to stand on the grace that you deny to somebody else. <laughs> so be mindful of those things too. But primarily, I believe He wants you to know you're one with Him. It, like, like in marriage. That's what this is about. It's unity with Him. And unity together is a byproduct of that unity with Him. You know, before the cross... It's not a fun picture to think about. But it says, For the joy set before him, 
he endured the cross. There was a vision of something. It wasn't the cross. It was a vision of something else. The joy set for before him he endured. Before the cross there was the scourging post. A place where he kneeled down. And he, his body was broken for you. I mean, when you want to see a picture of the depth of the love, how much he, you know, it says that by his stripes we're healed. I'm guilty of saying that without thinking. You know, he, he bore your sicknesses, carried your pains. By his stripes you're healed. Those stripes are not in vain. If you have any question about healing, I mean, you want to meditate on what he endured. What was the joy set before him? He sat there. And he said, he says, at any moment I could call for ten legions of angels that get me out of this. But he stayed put. He says, nobody takes my life. He says, I'm laying it down pick it back up. So you want to know why he stayed there. If you have any trouble believing about how much he loves you, how much he cares about your wholeness and your health, that you could have a life free from what the enemy brought. You take this and you remember he stayed put. And as they opened him up, Let that give you some courage to believe him for new things. Amen. His body was broken for you. says by his blood there's remission of sin and Jesus said whom the son sets free is free indeed you know how you may question your value when you put this on the scale that's how much you're worth to him Everything the devil would try and tell you about your worth and your meaning, what your potential is, and you say, well, I'm not, who am I? And see, the devil never comes to test. I never hear bad words about mom. I never hear bad words about Natalie. I never hear bad words about any of you. The devil doesn't come to tell me about you. He comes to tell me about me. But Jesus thought you were worth this. You are not a worm. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. Oh. It's alright. 
a second here. Everybody with me? <laughs> Jesus thought you were worth this. How much value. <clears throat> you know, it's not humility to say, oh, you know me, God, God can't do. Maybe, you know, God can't use me with that. Or, you know, it's not humility to say, well, I believe God can do that with some people, not me. It's not humility to say, well, I believe some people can live a righteous and holy life, but there's just some things I'm never going to be free from. And I just, that's not humility. If you look at this, that's pride. And I don't care what kind of unforgiveness, bitterness, offense, what kind of, what kind of addiction you deal with can't measure up to this can't measure up to this this goes deeper than what you deal with amen he set us free amen Lord Jesus we're so thankful we're so thankful for the price that you paid. That, it, that you didn't look at what you wanted, but you, look at, you looked at what we needed. And even better than that, you looked at what your Father's heart was. Father, as we partaken of your body and your blood, we see it as a unity with you. A marriage with you. A oneness with you. Anything that is not of you, that is not of your will, that is not of your design, that's in our hearts and minds, whether it's about how we view ourselves or how we view you as our Father. I thank you that you would gradually take us on a walk out of every lie, that we could be pure and holy, lacking nothing, able to stand upright and look in the face of our Father and say, I am one with you. And if the world has seen me, they have seen you, Father. May you bring us into closer unity with you this year than we had last year. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Hmm. can just feel his... His love that he has for each one of you. I, I feel that. So strong. The Father's love, it doesn't have any end, you know that? He has tremendous long-suffering. We, we have a picture of an Old Testament God so often when we think about God as our Father. But you know, <clears throat> there's nobody you want judging you except God. If you, if you want anybody to judge you, you definitely want it to be Him. Because the love that He has for you, praise you, Father. It's not like human love. It doesn't stop. It keeps waiting, hoping, believing for the best. Everybody, you know that Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Amen. Jerry, would you begin to uh, get the lights for me? Thank you.
I often like to think of it this way. You know, the devil only has two sets of lies. He has a lie about who God is, and he has a lie about who you are. You know, I, I've never yet heard him yet come lie to me about somebody else. Unless, unless he thought it could do damage to my relationship with God. I will make that exception. So. But most of your life, you know, you need the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is the one that teaches you how to walk in a new way. Walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And... Uh, Incidentally, you can be born again and, and continue to walk by the leadership of your flesh. Um, it's rather dull. <laughs> it's rather boring. You know, the, the, the closer I get to God, He's really the only interesting thing around. And you know, I, it used to be there was a time where I, the, the new TV show that came out would compete with Him. <laughs> the new book that come out or that I'd get a hold of would compete with him. But that's just because I didn't know him very well. Or you get to know him better and, you know, those shows got to be pretty good to compete with him anymore. And <laughs> I put it that way. It's got to be a really good book, really good movie to compete with God. Hmm. Jesus said it this way, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Okay, let's go to uh, John, the gospel of John. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I believe it's Matthew, gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Sometimes I wish faith and zeal were the same thing. So if, I, if I had faith like I have zeal, well, the devil would have to look out. <laughs> but see, God has a plan for you, and, and you know, you each have strengths. Everybody has strengths. Everybody has abilities. Everybody has a different personality. And, and how God would use that personality is to make it a servant to your spirit, not let it lead you around, but to be a useful tool in your hand. See, so if you have a tremendous gift to sing, or if you have a tremendous gift to handle finances, most people, they find out they have a gift or they have a talent and they no longer control it, it controls them. It makes them do what it tells them to do. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago where they're, you know, why is it that the world seems to have better music than the church? It's true. <laughs> it's because the devil can buy a talent and then the talent, he owns it and he tells it what to do. And, uh, <clears throat> and it's like that with any ability. But... Uh, God, see, well, whereas the devil would make you a slave to your ability, what God would do is he would, 
cause your ability to serve you. See, and instead of being trapped by your own ability, that ability is a useful tool in your hand. You know, you give a kid a gun. It's, it's, a, it's a trap. But if you give a gun to a lawman or a, a, a somebody in the military, it's a tool. Somebody that hunts, it's a tool. It's not the, it's not the gun necessarily, it's the user. See, an, an ability and talent is no different. Just because somebody can exercise a talent doesn't mean they can handle it. Just because somebody has a talent doesn't mean some, they can handle it in an appropriate way. And the devil knows this, and, and just because you have zeal, everybody say zeal. Because I'm, I'll tell you what, I'll just tell you my personality. I'm zealous, all right? I want the truth, and I want it yesterday. I want all of God yesterday. I don't know why he hasn't given me what I asked him for yesterday. <laughs> because, and see, you, you can have a, a tremendous zeal and a passion for God doesn't mean you have faith or that you've walked any of it out or that you know uh, what it looks like to exercise a relationship with God on a daily basis. And a lot of times the devil will take somebody with tremendous zeal. They, they have a love of the truth. They want, you know, and, and, it's, and it's not as though, you know, they, they just want to know the truth. They want to know the truth. You know, and, and I remember that feeling as a young man. I, God, I don't care if it's not the truth. I think I know. I want the truth. I don't want to mess around. I don't want to be, you know, what Paul said, beating the air. The devil knows how to take somebody that cares like that, wants more of God, and take their zeal and trap them with it. People that get trapped with zeal end up in legalism, end up in law, end up in religion some of the most zealous people in the world are trapped in religion i tell you what you don't take a vow of poverty you don't take a vow of celibacy you don't go live in a monk or live in a monk <laughs> i'm sorry <I'm> <laughs> live in a monastery as a monk <laughs> you don't i mean some of the some of the things like uh, they hardly talk, and sometimes they will. They won't say a word. They'll go on bouts of, spirit, uh, of time where they don't, they don't even communicate to each other. I remember my, Natalie and I, we were watching this documentary about, you know, I always watch documentaries about food when I'm fasting, you know. <laughs> it's more spiritual if you do it. <laughs> really, I'm just trying to give myself whatever I can, you know. Anyway. It will stretch you. It helps you become open to new foods. <laughs> but anyway, we were watching a, a documentary about this. Uh, oh, what was she? It was a Buddhist monk, and, and it, was a, it was a lady. And uh, she, spends, she spent her whole adult life in a monastery. Never got married. I mean, th I think she, was, she ran away from home. She was 12 years old. They took her in. Got up at four every morning. You know, just tremendous Tremendous uh, strength of will to do some of the things that she did. And uh, there were, I mean, we watched that documentary. There was so little dialogue. You know, they would interview her and she would say like three words, you know. <laughs> and then they'd interview a Western guy. And it was like almost too loud, you know. This guy was just talking because they were so quiet. And my point is, 
People can have a tremendous zeal for God. Zeal is not truth. Zeal is not faith. Zeal can be turned. And you have some of the people, some people that are the most hungry for the truth, most hungry for God to work in their lives. And the devil turns them toward legalism and towards uh, uh, outward works, you know. You don't do some of those things unless you think it matters. The devil has a plan for your talent has a plan for your zeal. But if you stay close to your father, you know, you won't get trapped by your ability. You won't get trapped by your talent. You won't get trapped by your knowledge. You know, in this culture, we always prop up knowledge like it's second to God. The more knowledge you get, the better you are. Well, knowledge is a tool too. The same knowledge that can create a a power plant can drop a bomb. It's not knowledge that you need, it's wisdom. See, and we always preach this, it's not the truth of the word of God that you know, it's the truth of the word of God that you do. Who cares if you can recite the Bible? Do you love your neighbor? <laughs> right? Well, see, what I love about some of these, these guys Jesus picked as disciples, they were real guys. They were not perfect. They were not refined. They, they were... Yeah, they, they were very unreligious. And, and you know, it, <clears throat> if Jesus were to come through this town today in this setting, and let's say he didn't come in Rome. Let's say he didn't come back then. Let's say he came here. Who would he pick to be his disciple? Who would he pick? Now, I'm, I have, I, I'm just making an observation. Jesus did not pick any religious leaders. Jesus did not pick any school-educated guys. Last thing Jesus needed was people that were too smart for their riches and didn't believe God. Because some of the stuff that he said they were going to do, <laughs> well, you've got too much education for me. We're going to pass on you. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? Because God don't need your ability. God don't need your talent. Not saying you don't have them. But what good is a bloated ability? You know, all they are, I'm a talent, I'm ability. I got knowledge, I got wealth. Is that all? Is that it? You know, and all we do is we take people like that, we transplant them in the church and we say, well, now whatever you did in the world, you just do it here. You businessman in the world? Oh yeah, I made lots, I made millions. Okay, now you do it for God. And so they still, they, they come out from the world and they're led by their ability and then they come in the church and we preach, well, now you're led by ability, but now you just do your own will, just like the other place, but now you do your will, not in the name of yourself, but you do your will in the name of God. And Jesus doesn't call you to do your will in the name of God. This is what we've been taught in church. You come in from the world, you come into church and you do your will in the name of the Father. He never taught that. He taught, you you read the cross, you talk about surrendering your will. And Jesus said, if any man is going to come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. What an odd picture. Because they they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what he was going to. Think of that as a disciple. As a disciple of Christ. When he said that, pick up your cross and follow me. What must, that must have hit them sideways hearing that. What do you mean? They knew what the cross was. It was Roman death. And why would we want to pick up our Roman death? He 
He said that before he went to the cross. He says, you pick up your cross and follow me. You, pay, you have people that they do that literally now, you know, and they still do, they do it literally. And if it's just a picture, that's fine. But anyway, I don't need to go down that rabbit trail. What Jesus, the words he spoke were spirit, were spirit and life. They weren't natural. He wasn't literally saying, get a cross out. He was saying, if you're gonna be like me, you're not gonna live for yourself. In another place, he says, nobody can be to my disciple if they don't hate their father and their mother, their children, and their own life also. If they don't, if he, they don't hate him. Is Jesus preaching hate? <laughs> what he was saying is, if you do not learn to follow God above all other motivations, if God to you does not become love and in respect to, you know, like, I love my wife, but God forbid she ever tell me to do something God tells me not to do. That's the love that you have to have for your father. A love that leaves them behind. If I don't care what my family says, I'm going to follow God. See. <clears throat> These qualities are good when you have talent and you have ability and you have zeal. But see, what happens so often is we let those things, we mix the leadership of God, we take God's, we try and serve God out of our own will and out of our own ability and instead of ever submitting them to him as tools in our kit. Because zeal is a tool in your kit. Ability is a tool in your kit. Money is a tool in your kit. None of them are supposed to tell you what to do. Like this. This is, this is a tool to me, okay? Now, every once in a while, this tool fights with me. <laughs> and it'll go bing, <laughs> bing. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes, maybe I'm in prayer. Maybe I'm sitting there reading the word. And I, I, I have it set up now so that it doesn't fight with me as much. But, but uh, you know, somebody, maybe it's a phone in your pocket. You're praying to the Lord and you hear a ding, Turn that text off. Don't even look at it. It's not, you're having a conversation with somebody else. See? But if it fights with you, and it says, I want you to do this. Oh, and so immediately you do what it says. You know, somebody commented on my Facebook page. Oh, and an hour later, it's taking you for a ride. You know, you get on your TV and you say, I'm just going to watch an episode of the show. Three hours later, your day is gone. You, you've watched a whole season. See, see, what is that a tool to you, or does that rule you? That's a I don't know, tool or rule. Which one is it? <laughs> see, and, and and our lives, our personalities are full full of tools that are supposed to be for our use. See, our ability, our money, our talent, our wealth, our zeal. The things that you, you can take out and use and apply and, and, and see, those are the kind of things that, you know, God gave you your emotions as a part of you, not a def definition of who you are. And you can meet people, you know people, you, you, it doesn't take very long to find out. You talk to somebody, that emotional part of them rules them. It absolutely has a rule over them. Emotions are not supposed to rule you. They are a part of you. 
I watched a video of this guy, absolutely ruled by emotions. Emotions have nothing to do with gender. Let me just tell you. Now, maybe there's patterns of emotions that are different in the genders, maybe. But you can find guys that are just as much ruled by emotions as ladies are. Absolutely no different. I was watching this video of a guy. Um, this guy it was an accidental rear ending. Boy, this guy got out of his car, huffing man, just, you know. And the other guy was taking a video of this. He rolled his window up because he knew what was coming. It was an accident. It was, I mean, there was hardly even any damage to the car. But this guy got out, you know, full, full of emotion, thinking he's in charge. He's, to me, he looks like a weakling. You know, getting out, just showing up. He just starts slamming on the window, starts kicking the door, going around. He says, come on, let's fight. Let's do this thing. You know, it's just all this. I'm like, and, and you can tell the guy sitting in the car is a Marine. Probably could take his head off. He's sitting there, just videoing what's going on. Didn't, didn't make a move. All right. And, I'm, I'm watching this guy just full of himself, full of, ruled by emotion. He would not stop. At one point, he just starts screaming at the top of his lungs when he didn't get his way. That guy's ruled by emotion. <clears throat> there have been times in my life where I felt like that ceiling of emotions comes over and says, now this is, I'm in charge now. When there's things that I can't control, one of the times I remember not being able to control a situation was, when Natalie was pregnant with Joshua. Some of you were here for that. For 54 hours, you're pulling your hair out. When, you know, and and, and I, everything in me, now and looking back on it, I, you have some perspective, but at the time, the emotions ruled me. And I was just a basket case, and I said, Lord, what's the matter? You want to know what the matter was? Me. It's me. But at the time, See, and these are these ceilings in our life that we try and exercise our ability to follow God, but there are these ceilings that come over us in different areas. Some of them are emotional. Some of them are intellectual. Some of them are reasonings and thoughts and knowledge and patterns of what, oh, that's not possible. Well, why isn't it possible? Well, because I went to school and we know that you can't walk on water. You're going to sink. That's gravity. So... So there's these patterns of thoughts, there's these reasonings, there's these intellectual ceilings, there's emotional ceilings, and there is talent ceilings that if you try and follow God into that, then that will start to lead you. And the express job of the Holy Spirit is to take you by the hand and like an Israelite going into his promised land one by one, removing those strongholds from the land that God gave you. Whatever that ceiling may be. Everybody in Matthew chapter 26. You all thought I wasn't going to get to it, didn't you? <laughs> Matthew chapter 26. And then said Jesus unto them. Oh, sorry, thank you. Verse 31. Matthew 26, 31. Now this is Palm Sunday. Not too, not too long before this, chronologically, they were all, you know, they had, he had that big multitude of people saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know. And they put the palm leaves down in front of him and, 
and escorted him as a king into Jerusalem. Here in verse 31, he said, and Jesus said unto them, his disciples, all of you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I am risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now, we know where this is going. You've read this before. But let's stop. Okay. Do you know, do you, how, how, what do you think? Do you think he meant that? Can you see his heart in that? Can you see how much he cared about Jesus? And how many times I've prayed prayers where I sound like this, you know, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, This night before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. <laughs> and Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny, deny thee. And likewise said all of his disciples. You know what this passage kind of reminds me of? You know, Jesus, he sent out all of his disciples to pray and to heal the sick, to cast out devils, and they came back rejoicing about that. And later on in the scriptures, Jesus was on that mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, and, and they came back down, and, and all of the disciples had tried to pray for that boy to, to get him healed of that lunatic spirit. Don't you think they prayed prayers that sounded like this? In the name of Jesus, we have been commissioned and commanded to pray for you and by, by the authority in Jesus' name, we cast you out. And see, we, there have been times where I have felt so strongly in, in my emotions and in my zeal that God, I mean this. I mean this. I mean this. <laughs> Jesus said, I say unto you, this night before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. See, because here, here's the difference. This is Peter's heart wanted, recognized, loved the Father, loved Jesus. He had a heart to step into what he was saying. He wanted to mean that. And in his own head, he did mean that. He meant, I'm gonna, I'll die before they take you. I'll die. I'll die. At one point, Peter took out a sword and cut somebody's ear off. You don't think he meant it? <laughs> now, he's ready to fight. He wasn't ready to yield. <laughs> anyway. Look ahead here, just a couple verses. Let's go to verse 40. And he comes unto his disciples and he finds them asleep and said unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and what I find walking with God is I find Peter, I relate to that. I, this verse here, the spirit's willing, flesh is weak. What was Peter willing to do? Oh, I'm willing to die for you. But his willingness to die for Jesus encountered the weakness of his flesh. Everybody see that? His, what he knew he should do, what he wanted to do, the zeal he had hit that ceiling of flesh that Jesus said, the spirit's willing, flesh is weak. And there have been times in my walk where my willingness exceeds my mortification. (laughs) My willingness to do what I know to do doesn't match it, it hasn't removed the weakness of the flesh in that area yet. Let's just read this verse 42. He went away again a second time and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And you can look back and just say, see here in verse 39. And Jesus said, he says, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This is the only time that I can see where Jesus ever halted and said, Is there any way around this? Because you see Jesus knowing God's will perfectly everywhere, right? He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There, you know, when Jesus would go pray for people did he ever do this he says well let me just check with God and see if we're supposed to heal you or not let me see (laughs) you know and like we do in our churches see in church in church we have no problem where they come up and they say well I want to be forgiven oh no yes you're forgiven we don't even ask them what they want forgiveness for how, how would you like it if, if you came up to Jesus and says, I want forgiveness. He says, well, let me check with the Father if we're going to forgive you or not. I'm not sure. No. Jesus knew what God's will was, that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of, of himself. See. You never look at, you, you look at Jesus, he never had to ask God, you know, do you want this one healed that the devil's oppressing? Do you, what do you think about that one? No, yes, no, yes. <laughs> he knew God's will. And, and, I, and see, he knew God's will here. He knew it. He knew what it was. Even here, he knew. He says, I know this cup. He says, but if there's any way, I'm just asking, if there's any way possible that I don't have to do this. Nevertheless, you know I'm not doing my will, it's your will. But if it's possible, same. And there is a walk with God where we draw a truce with ourselves where we say that's the line we're going to hold and we're not going to go any farther. And so much of walking with God is really about God making allowances for where our flesh still has us in captivity. And we have that heart cry of how many Christians do you think on a daily basis say, God, I want your will. Probably 
to the same degree of emotional integrity and zeal that Peter said, I'll die for you. I'll die for you. But once the rubber meets the road and the willingness to do what you've said encounters the flesh that's on the inside of you, see, what, we all know what Peter did. They all ran. And Peter denied him three times. It's not recorded in scripture, but we know from history that Peter died giving testimony to Jesus. And um, he says, you can crucify me upside down. I don't want people to make a God out of me. They still try to anyway. <laughs> they still try to. He says, crucify me upside down. I don't want to be compared to Jesus. You know, and, and, and I find it interesting that of, of all the disciples that left him, you know, the only one that remained at the foot of the cross we have in the Gospels was John. John was there with Mary. And every one of those disciples that didn't face that fear of death for Jesus died for Jesus later on. Willingly, not because, you know, willingly. And see, I believe that they were given a chance to face that fear and say, no, I didn't conquer it then, but I'm gonna conquer it now. And the only one that didn't die I mean, they tried, but John just wouldn't go. <laughs> John died of old age, even though they tried to get rid of him. See, And there is a walk with God. And see, what the Holy Ghost has come to do, he has come to let your spirit, how do I put that? He has come to allow the zeal that you have for him, the willingness that you have for him, that what you want to do, but you're not able to perform, he wants to bring that gap and, and narrow it to the place where what you say and see in your heart that God wants to do through you, nothing stops you from doing it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Paul said, those by the spirit who mortify themselves. See, if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, you let what's on the inside of you grow up to such a place that it starts, you hit a ceiling of emotions and you hit a ceiling of doubt and you hit a ceiling of weakness and flesh and all of those things that try and tell you who you are. People who are very successful in the world and people that, you know, they may grow up in church but they have a tremendous musical ability and the world comes in and snatches them and pays them too much and exposes them, you know, they're not free, they're trapped. Because what happened is their zeal for God ran in to their flesh. And their flesh, even though to the world's standards they're in prosperity, they're famous, they're, they're trapped. And they, they, uh, they need your prayer, not your contempt. Let's see. There's a walk with God that allows you to take steps and steps into him on a progressive way. And there were many times where I felt like, Lord, why don't you just let me step out and do this? I know that part of my calling is business, but he wouldn't let me do anything business related. Why? Because my ability to do something in business is not what leads me. He leads me. See? My ability to do 
XYZ thing, whatever it is, if he tells me to stay put, what he's trying to do is he's trying to make that thing a tool in my hand for the glory of the kingdom, not the shackle that the enemy uses to drag me into the world. And see, this is the same principle we see outlined here where the disciples, they had, do you think when they prayed for that boy, that lunatic boy, do you think they had on the inside of them, they believed they were going to see what they'd always seen? They, they went, Jesus said, go pray, go raise the dead, heal the sick. And they came back. The, the thing they were most excited about, he says, even the devils are subject to us. And in and, and your name, they're subject to us. And he says, yeah, good deal. <laughs> so don't you think when they came to do this they prayed their best you know biggest prayer they could find and just this one's going to go just like the rest of them they always do what happened their zeal their willingness ran into a ceiling of unbelief because that's what jesus said don't you think they meant what they do you think they were like yeah maybe maybe we'll pray and I don't think they were half-hearted. I don't think any half, less half-hearted than what Peter was. You don't say you're going to die and halfway mean it. See. Those that want to follow the Lord, there is a process. Everybody say process. There is a process that takes you from point A to point B. And the things that keep you in bondage now don't have to keep you in bondage any longer. The tricky thing is that some of the things that keep you in bondage, they've been with you your whole life. And they're ceilings in your flesh and your emotions. Natalie knows me. She knows my ceilings. Sometimes, sometimes when there's a little too much noise in the house, I've had one too many phone calls. I've had one too many things that I couldn't control. Pop, 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 pop hit a ceiling and I, I just I, you know I gotta curl up in a fetal position and rock back and forth for about a half hour you know you do it too Some, maybe it's a different thing <clears throat> See those you think oh that's who you are that's just that's who you are no it's not no it's not no more than it is that Peter was defined by his failings. The message of the gospel is not that Jesus loves you like you are. The message of the gospel is Jesus loves you so much you don't have to stay the way you are. That's the message of the gospel. Sure, he loves you right where you are. He would love to take you out of the mess you're in. <laughs> but let the Holy Spirit because we, we're talking about Palm Sunday and we're talking about Easter. There is no greater example of what I'm talking about right now than if you look at Jesus and he says, if there's any way I don't have to do what you're asking me to do, let me know. And aren't you glad he paid that price? Amen. See, For the joy that was set for bo before him, he endured the cross. See, he despised the shame. You know the scriptures. And there is... Things in our life, tremendous things that God wants to accomplish in you. But it is the flesh and it is the weaknesses of emotional ceilings. You may live with them your entire life, 
and never know how to get rid of them, but I guarantee you the Holy Spirit does. And every time you spend time with him in prayer and fasting, what you're doing is you're knocking on the door of that thing and saying, I recognize you and you're not part of me. And those, you know, the, the, the power of the gospel, Peter, even though he ran, he didn't stay that way. He didn't stay that way. He changed. He changed. Okay. And you can change too. And those ceilings that keep you bound up and there's, there's so many, they're good meaning prayers. Good meaning prayers. Everybody knows how to pray a, a, a heartfelt prayer. Unfortunately, that's not faith. Faith that comes from God eradicates the fear, eradicates the flesh, eradicates the emotions that lie. And all those things that want to tell you what is and is not possible. There's only one person that defines what is and is not possible, and his name is Jesus Christ. Same. So this Easter, I'll make this passing statement. We've got five more minutes. You know, Palm Sunday, they had all of those hosts, multitude, thousands, it says, lying the streets, praising his entry. Where were they when he was crucified? I, I, I guarantee you, Jesus was saying, Spirit's willing. Flesh is weak. The flesh is not something to be trifled with. It's, it has kept many Christians in bondage for many hundreds of years. Your, own, your enemy is not really the devil. Your, your enemy is what the devil uses. And what he uses. What is it that stops those prayers that... When they pray, why didn't God move? They meant it, didn't they? When Peter says, I'll die for you, he meant it, didn't he? The willingness encountered the flesh. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, Paul said, you'll live. See? The walk of following God, it's not about living after the flesh and doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not about taking what talents you know you have and letting them lead you, but now we do it in the name of Jesus. That's not following God. You have a tremendous ability. I'm not talking about volunteering necessarily. But it's not as though that you just follow that ability down and say, now I am, I was, on a, I was doing my own will for me, but now I'm doing my own will for God. What happens when you get born again? Those that want to be his disciples pick up their own cross and they go from somebody saying, I do my own will for me and they go to somebody saying, I do your will, not my own. See? And sometimes God's will isn't a direct path to your own eyes because what he's trying to do is he's trying to train you out of those ceilings that keep you from really going anywhere or God taking you anywhere with him. And you can say, well, I could apply my gift. I could apply my talent and I would be famous. Yeah, you'd still be stuck though. You just don't think of it as stuck, but I see it as stuck. I could apply my understanding of business 
and I could make millions. Yeah? You wouldn't follow me anymore. You'd be following yourself. Because what he wants to do is he wants to have all of those things that are part of you, your zeal. They're good things. Your abilities, your talents. He wants them to be tools that you can use in his name as he directs you and not have them lead you. And he wants to be able to take those things from the inside of you and pull them out and say, now is the time to apply this. And live like Jesus lived and look like Jesus looked. Jesus always spoke the truth no matter what. And he had mul- there were days when he had multitudes and multitudes following him. And there were days where almost nobody was going to follow him. And the day before his greatest victory, everybody abandoned him. Everybody. It definitely was not the circumstances or his emotions or his feelings that kept him going. It was something on the inside. See, that's what's supposed to lead us to. Amen. Amen. Father God, you, you alone know what we need. And even though there are times where we think that this would be a really good thing, but we lack your perspective. I ask you, Father, for giving each and every one of us here your perspective on our life, on our gifts and our talents. We don't want to be one of those that does our own will in your name. We want to be one of those that does your will. That we bow the knee and we say, what do you have for us, Father? And may our good intentions... I thank you for each and every person here that you would help them recognize those ceilings of emotions, those ceilings of fear, those ceilings of doubt and unbelief. And one by one, with the power of the Holy Ghost, go through and eradicate them, not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit. Thank you for leading us into more of who you are, that we will become a people that cannot be controlled, that cannot be bought, that cannot be lied to, with circumstances, but we will be a people that looks like you and we're going to have that unity that we are one with our Father, that when the world looks at us, they see Jesus. They don't see ourselves. They don't see a selfish motive. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. He paid for us to have that same unity that we could say we are one with our Father too. So we confess that over ourselves. And let's just say that together this Palm Sunday. Father God, I am so thankful for the price that your son paid. He prayed that the glory he had would be mine. He prayed that the love that you have would be our love. He prayed that the unity and the oneness that our Father had with Jesus, we would have that same unity. So Father God, I thank you that you establish your glory, your unity, your love in my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.